Welcome to Hope Awakens. I appreciate you joining me. We've got people joining us from around the globe right now. Neil and Donna are in College Place, Washington. We're hoping and praying that you're doing well, Neil. Kenny is in Alaska. Denise is in Fort McMurray in Alberta, Canada. Linda is in Warner Robins, Georgia. Lloyd is in the Black Hills of South Dakota, an amazing part of North America that's home to Mount Rushmore and a whole lot more. Vera is in picturesque Door County, Wisconsin. Door County juts out between Green Bay on this side and Lake Michigan on that side. Brad is in Rantoul, Illinois. Ruth in Venice, Florida. Chris in Henderson, North, <laughs> Hendersonville, North Carolina. And wherever you are, thank you for being part of Hope Awakens. This is Hope Awakens, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. I want to remind you tonight that at It Is Written, we encourage you to take the children important to you to my place with Jesus and connect them with the Bible using Journey Through the Bible, which gets children into a daily Bible reading program with incentives. Go to myplacewithjesus.com and look for journey through the Bible. My Place with Jesus is also available in Espanol, and you can download the My Place with Jesus app for kids as well. Now, we've been asked and asked, and so I'll tell you that, yes, DVDs of these Hope Awakens presentations are available. Visit itiswritten.shop, and you will see the Hope Awakens tab, and all you need to know is right there, itiswritten.shop. It's open 24-6. I want to tell you about two more things. One of them is this. We've got another exciting series of presentations starting in just over a month. It's called Take Charge of Your Health, and it's going to help you to do just that. We'll be speaking to leading physicians about subjects that really matter to you so that you can truly take charge of your health. If we've learned anything at all recently, it's that health is precious. And when it's under threat, we realize that, wow, we wish we had good health. So, starting Monday, June 22, take charge of your health. It's going to be practical, helpful, and life-changing, maybe even life-saving. Take charge of your health starts June 22. It runs for a week, seven nights straight. You're going to love it. Now, after Hope Awakens ends this weekend, I'd love for you to plug into one of our Hope Awakens communities. To tell you more, here is one of our Hope Awakens community facilitators, Cindy Kaiser. Cindy, welcome to Hope Awakens. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Pastor Bradshaw. Tell me, what is a Hope Awakens community? Well, a Hope Awakens, Awakens virtual community are small groups of people who live close to each other who have been watching this amazing series. They will get together weekly and pray together and continue to study God's Word together on Zoom or Skype or some other platform similar to that. That sounds fantastic. So clustered basically ge geographically similarly. So you've mentioned a couple of things. What do you think people can expect from this? Well, we'll will be a small group of people that will be able to share together their prayer requests. We'll pray together and we'll get into a deeper study of God's word after this event is over. Okay, sounds great. Now, how does somebody get involved who wants to get involved? Well, if you haven't been contacted by a local Hope Awakens representative, be sure to go to hopeawakens.org 
and register tonight so someone in your area will contact you. Excellent. Cindy, thanks so much. I'm thrilled you're involved, and thanks for letting us know about that tonight. You're welcome. Good to be here. Thank you. Remember, hopeawakens.org is where you can submit your questions. With your questions tonight, here's Doug Naar. Hey, John, it's good to be here with you. Again, we've got some wonderful questions. And uh, here's our first one. John, I have one glass of wine once a month. I drink in moderation and I drink responsibly. Is this not allowed by God? Okay, wrong question. We don't say, is this or is this not allowed by God? We say, what pleases God here? Now, the scientists are going to tell you, not scientists who are funded by alcohol organizations, but scientists will tell you there is no safe level for drinking. Responsible drinking, that's an oxymoron. There's just no such thing. If you're getting by on a glass a month and you see that the Bible says that alcohol is a mocker, whoever is deceived by it is not wise, you're not going to miss a glass of wine a month. Just let it go and know now that even though you might have enjoyed it once, you are doing what is most pleasing in the sight of God. When we say what's wrong with, it indicates that there's something wrong with our approach. Let's say what's best. What's best, what is God's will, is that we let it go. You won't miss it. John, I have a friend who is grieving over the loss of her mother. She believes that she's in heaven right now. How can I tactfully help her understand that she's in the grave awaiting the second coming of Jesus? And when will be the appropriate time for me to let her know? How do you do it? Well, you do it graciously and you do it carefully and you uh, look for an opportunity. You maintain a friendship. Maybe you say, would you be interested in looking at what I believe? Or I saw this Hope Awakens presentation on the subject. Would you like to see that? But don't rush ahead of God. Be prayerful. Ask God to help you to know just when to bring this up because you do have information that your friend would be blessed by. She needs to understand this for her own spiritual well-being. But tread carefully, uh, but do tread. I have heard some people say that the book of Job is an allegory and not real life event. Is that true? Nope, not true at all. Okay, that's good. Now, are you going to continue with more series after this Hope Awakens series? Good question. I think I might have answered that just a moment ago. Yes, June 22, take charge of your health and there'll be more. So look out for that. Stay close to It Is Written. Stay close to Hope Awakens and you'll get more information. It's going to be great. I missed the Q and answer, uh, the question and answer session on Facebook. Where can I find that? Uh, again, hopeawakens.org. You go right there, look for previous presentations. That's where it'll be. Now, I'm a 10-year-old boy who's been um, playing video games for the past year, almost two years now, and I'm beginning to feel a bit uncomfortable whether I should continue playing these video games. John, what should I do? Well, let me tell you. For 6,000 years or so, 10-year-old boys had been getting on without video games just fine. You'll be able to too. It might be that God is speaking to you about this. Here's what you use as your guide, Philippians 4 verse 8. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So maybe God's speaking to you about it. Take your cue from God. He will definitely guide you. Probably best to hang them up, I think. Probably best. Why did Jesus choose Judas, knowing full well that he would betray him? Was he fulfilling prophecy? Well, he was. It was prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed, sure. 
Jesus' steadfastness and constancy, even in the face of that sort of rejection, gave the Godhead a wonderful opportunity to demonstrate the love of God. So Judas, while he did a terrible, terrible, terrible thing, um, Jesus was able through that to show you just how much he loves you and me. Is watching Netflix bad? Maybe, <laughs> maybe not, uh, probably, likely. All depends on what you watch. What I said about video games earlier applies here. Uh, just, it's to do with the content of what you're looking at. I would say the vast majority of the time, yeah, really, really wrong, but probably not always wrong. Now, a few nights ago, you answered a question about staying at home during COVID-19 and the lockdown versus faith. It seemed like that your answer meant to say, or it seemed like your answer said that if you prayed about it and the Lord said for you to leave, even if it was against the law, is that okay? No, 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 no. I'm not advocating breaking the law. I certainly wouldn't advocate it right here. Uh, the only law that you might ever want to break is one that uh, tells you to break God's law. That wouldn't be a, a, a law that's right on the side of God. We've got that coming up with the mark of the beast. No, as far as possible, you ought to obey the law. The Bible says that um, the, 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 the legal system or the lawgivers are only a terror to them that do bad, not to do good. So it gets complex because there's a whole lot of yeah, buts and what abouts, but for the most part, no. It, Christians of all people ought to do everything they can to comply with the laws of the land. When they conflict with the laws of God, now we've got an interesting situation. Now I know that the scripture says we should keep the Sabbath holy, but are there Bible verses that say we should go to church on the Sabbath? Well, the idea of keeping the Sabbath holy deals with that. The Sabbath is a worship day, a holy day. You've got Luke 4 verse 16, the very best one. It says that Jesus went to church. Now it was a synagogue for Jesus, but he went to church on the Sabbath day. Yes, of course, it's the day for worship. That's what it was in the Bible. That's what it was in the book of Acts for the early Christians. It's what God intends for us today. When someone is at church studying the Word of God and they fall asleep during the process, does that mean, Pastor John, that the Holy Spirit is not with that individual? <laughs> that's a great question. That's, that's, a, a, that's, a, that's, that's an actual a good question. That's a, that's, a, that's a question right here. Oh, no. But what it means really is that the person just needs to get more sleep at night and less sleep in church or during Bible study. That's all. It's important to rest. We spoke about that one night. Um, no, it's not really evidence that the Holy Spirit has departed from that person, not at all. Here's our last question, John. I know with all my heart, mind and soul that the dead are asleep in the grave awaiting the second coming of Jesus. If my dad had died, my grandma had died, my uncle, auntie, is it okay that I say, I miss you, dad, I miss you, mom, I miss you, grandpa. Uh, I'm glad that you are asleep awaiting the resurrection of Jesus. Is there anything bad? Uh, by saying those words? No, there's nothing bad about that at all. No, let's not get petty. I'm not saying you're, you're petty. Don't make God petty. You understand that the dead are asleep. This is just sometimes an expression of, of, of fondness or love. Someone's going to say, oh, you shouldn't say that. No, you get it. I get it. We get it. Dad doesn't even hear it because he's asleep in the grave. No, you don't need to worry about that at all. Doug, thank you very much. Good, some que good questions, John. Yeah, we'll do it again in two nights. I hope you'll get your questions to us at hopeawakens.org. I have a special guest tonight. He is Dr. Stan Hudson, the director of the Creation Study Center 
in Vancouver, Washington. Dr. Hudson is a pastor and a creationist. Stan, thank you so much for joining me. The invitation, it's very fun to be here. Now I gotta ask you this, a man as educated as yourself, why in the world are you a creationist? Let me put it another way. Why can thinking people confidently believe creation? First of all, what are the alternatives? The alternative is uh, that somehow or other, everything we see with uh, by blind luck, and nature was able to create and organize itself. And that takes some faith to believe that could happen. Yeah, that's true when you put it like that. Tell me about a couple of things that really speak to you, a thinking person, and say to you, Doctor, you ought to believe creation. So what I'm saying is, do we take the creation account by blind faith, or do we really have good evidence that creation is scientifically valid? Oh, I think we have lots of evidence. Let's first of all look at the uh, fossil record, uh, which we take to be part of the flood. Let me just show you one right here. Take a look at this right here. Can you see that? Yeah, very Oops. well. That's good. Yeah, that is, that's a shrimp. It's a shrimp from Wolfen. Supposedly one years old. No evidence of in the record. Yeah, you know, I, I think I heard you say we had a little, uh, it looks like a, a line issue there. Did you say oh, it's, sorry. it's supposedly how old, but where was it? Can you repeat that for me, please? Yeah, supposedly 130 million years old. Oh. And uh, yes, and I do not see a lot of difference in that shrimp from a modern shrimp. So I don't see evolution. All right, tell, tell me more. What else? So, so that's the shrimp. What else is there? Something else that we can say, here's a good solid reason. That was one. Well, take a look at the design we see in nature. All the different uh, uh, systems, birds and bees, bees with flowers, everything is interconnected. By blind chance, these things could develop uh, is hard to imagine. So they seem to have been designed. Evolutionists themselves will admit that everything he designed. Oh, I wish I could hear you clearly. I'm, I'm, we're able to piece the oh, pieces together. No, it's not you at all. What you're saying, we're getting the point, even though the internet isn't isn't cooperating with us perfectly. Okay. Now, uh, uh, so I, I want to also ask you this: Why do you think it is that so many really thinking, very intelligent, very honest-hearted people believe not creation? Well, you must understand the worldview that is behind evolution, and that is it tends to limit God or eliminate God. If you eliminate God, evolution is the only game in town, if you understand what I mean. It has to work, and uh, it is a very logical model for somebody who does not believe there was a creator. Is there any room? Even, Sorry, go ahead. Yes. Sorry, go, go right ahead. Despite the fact that there are a lot of problems with the evolution uh, theory, even biologists today, makes evolution happen. So tell me what they some of those problems are. Go right ahead. What are some of the problems yeah. with, the, with the evolution model? Um, first of all, how do we keep getting more complex and better? Because if mutations, mutations is the currently accepted model, mutations. So if that is the way that new things happen, new creatures happen, 
why is it that all the mutations that they find in less or worse? So, yeah, how how does it seem to go in the proper order? I, I want I want you I want, to, I want you to spell that out, Dr. Hudson, because many people don't understand that evolution is built on the idea that changes come as a result of mutations. That's correct. Currently, it's no longer survival of the fittest. That's an old model. So the current one is that somehow or other copying the DNA or the genes from the parents to the child, something went and there was a mistake and a mutation. Now, that had to have happened a million times in a million species for us to be here like we are. I've often looked at something like the eye, as complex as the eye is, well, there's millions of rods and millions of cones. It has been said that given enough time, it's possible for these things to uh, evolve. Really? That's the idea. Yes. So it, it time is, is the friend of evolution. And they promote millions and millions of years because they for somehow or other life and uh, produce. Dr. Hudson, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say thank you very much. I wish we weren't challenged. We'll speak some more. I really appreciate you shining a very biblical and scientific light on creation, something we can believe and have confidence in. Dr. Stan Hudson, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Pastor John. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, let's pray and we'll believe that God will speak to us. The Creator God is going to connect with us in His Word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, tonight we come to you in the name of Jesus we are grateful for the Bible, and I pray that as we look into it tonight, you will speak to us. Guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Ledger, that's a newspaper in Lakeland, Florida, reported a few months ago that a Florida teenager was in a local guitar shop when something happened that he wasn't expecting. The 18-year-old student would go into that store every day and spend time playing a certain guitar, a guitar he would have loved to have owned, but that $700 price tag meant it was out of the question for him. Now, as he was playing one day, a man that he didn't know came into the store, took a guitar off the wall, sat down next to him, and for 90 minutes, they played and talked together about music. Now, when the young man was about to leave, the unknown man said to him, hey, if there's anything in this store that you would like to have, what would it be? Well, he said, that's easy. I'd love to have this guitar. The other man, who turned out to be D. Ford, who plays for the San Francisco 49ers football team, took the guitar to the checkout, paid for it, and gave it to 18-year-old Adam Birmingham. Both men left the store smiling. The young man, not only with a new guitar, but with a renewed understanding of what it means to receive a special gift. Now we could tell stories like that forever, special gifts that have been given. The Cullinan diamond, the largest uncut gem quality diamond ever found was given by the government of the Transvaal colony of South Africa to King Edward VII as a birthday gift. You couldn't put a price on it. The hanging gardens of Babylon were a gift for the homesick wife of the King of Babylon. And that's an actual photo of the hanging gardens of Babylon an archaeologist discovered King Nebuchadnezzar's iPhone, and that image was right there on it. Okay, maybe not. 
The Statue of Liberty was a gift to the United States from the French government. Of course, not all gifts are appreciated. You might have heard the story of the young man in India who was given a new BMW car as a birthday gift. His parents gave it to him. He didn't like it. He said it was too small and that he wanted a Jaguar. So he pushed it into a river. But the greatest gifts? Ah, that's not hard to answer. You might want to travel far or dress well or drive in style or whatever it might be. But the gifts that God gives are the ones that you really want. And what has God given the world? Well, to start with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the world. He gave life. The sun in the sky, God made that. The air we breathe, God made that. The rain that waters the earth, God made the rain. The water you drink, the plants and the flowers that grow, the animals that you enjoy. God, God, and God again. The Bible tells us, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You read that in the first chapter of the Bible. And then God gave another special gift. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Remember what God did? God knew that in years to come, people would forget God. They'd be busy. They'd be challenged. They would need to earn in order to support their families. They'd live in huge cities. They'd have to commute long distances to get to their jobs. They would be pressured and there would be financial demands and life would be filled with distractions and it would be hard to keep things in perspective, difficult to keep a grip on your real priorities. God knew this was important. So he left us in no doubt how important it was to him and how good this was for us. He said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God knew that if we remembered the Sabbath day, there would never be an atheist because we'd be acknowledging the Creator. For the same reason, God knew this would be a defense against evolution. You can't be an evolutionist and remember creation every seven days. God knew this would be a defense against stress and workaholism and materialism. It was another gift from God. When sin entered the world, God gave another gift, the gift of repentance to a world of people that had just assured that his son Jesus would die. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, I want you to notice something. God took the initiative in all of this. It was his idea to create the world. It was his idea to make it so beautiful. He could have made it all in black and white. He could have designed just one kind of flower, one kind of tree. Imagine that world. 
but instead he made a beautiful world for us. When sin rose, he took the initiative and gave us a way out of sin. And that way is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that's a serious gift. You hear about people donating a kidney. That's quite a gift. The fact is, most often you can get by with just one. There are people who are organ donors. That's a fabulous thing to do. But you give organs after you're gone, so there's no cost at all to the donor. But Jesus gave his life and he gave it for a sinful world. It'd be one thing if there were hundreds of thousands of people telling Jesus to go for it, thanking him for the gift, telling him how happy they were that he was going to give them life, how they were relying on him. But the reality is he came to his own and his own did not receive him. In fact, as Isaiah said, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, Isaiah 53. It's the most remarkable story ever told. People who had given everything turned their back on God, but God kept on giving. Jesus came to the world and healed and loved and helped and fed and worked miracles and offered eternal life. And there's something God did that takes this even further because Jesus would die and go to heaven and leave his people here on the earth. And he'd leave them with some pretty clear instructions. He said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Now let's think about that. How's that working out for you? Seriously, how are you doing with showing love to others? Not showing like to others, but showing love. And keep this in mind, that word love that Jesus used, it's not, I love my dog love. It's not, I love apple pie love. It's not, I love my spouse love. It's what is referred to as agape love. The word that Jesus used wasn't phileo, that's brotherly love, or eros, that's romantic love. Agape is self-sacrificing love. God so agaped the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's a special, it's a special kind of love. A love where you put others first, where self-interest just doesn't come into it. Jesus wasn't thinking of himself on the cross. He was thinking of you. Agape is unconditional love, unconditional love. So Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another with unconditional love. You know, in another place, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Again, that's if you agape me. If you love me with unconditional love, you'll keep my commandments. See, in English, love. You love your dog, you love your cat, you love your mother and your mother, you love, you love all these things. One word, love. But in the Bible, different words for love with different meaning. You see, I wonder if that's at the root of the problem many people have. Oh, I'll keep God's commandments all right. But seeing as I only love God with brotherly love or with a sentimental kind of love, I'll keep his commandments on my own terms. 
Or to put it another way, I can love my brother. You can love your dog. You can love your spouse. But that kind of love isn't what we bring to God. If we love to God, it means we are saying, I'm yielding my whole life to you. I'm surrendering my heart to you. And honestly, not too many people say that. It's when we say, he died for me, so he's got my whole heart, that we're getting onto the right track with this. So we're given this opportunity to love God with our whole hearts. Jesus put it this way. He was being challenged by someone asking him what the greatest commandment in the law was. Of course, it was a trap. Whatever Jesus said, the religious rascals of the day would find fault. So when he was asked the question, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? He answered by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see there that Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19, showing us that the principles of the Old Testament are still important today. Now, if we're honest, honest, what Jesus just said is a really tall order. Keep my commandments. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let me come back to that question I asked you earlier. How's that working out in your life? Serious question, isn't it? There are some people that are hard to love. Might be that you're one of them. And loving God unconditionally just doesn't come naturally. That's a point we'll get back to. Look, if you're a thinking person, you look into the Bible and you see it saying, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You see the Bible say, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Revelation chapter 22. Speaking of the new Jerusalem, it says, but there shall by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And you read about the 144,000, Revelation 14, 1. Then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. You might consider what the Bible says here and say, how can I do that? Or how could I ever be in that group? Well, there's good news. Jesus heard your question before you asked. The thing you need to know is that it can become as natural for you to love doing God's will as it is for water to run downhill. You think God asks you to do anything that you can't do? No, he doesn't. I don't think that either. But he does say, keep my commandments. He does say, love your enemies. Actually, let's talk about that for a moment. Because this is where push really comes to shove for believers in Jesus. It's not hard to eat the right thing, do the right thing with your money. It's not hard to figure out the right day of worship. Where it's tougher, and this really matters, is how you treat others. And by the way, a non-believer couldn't care less about how you eat or what day you worship. Few people ever said, I became one of them because I lost the argument. But many people have said, 
I want to be one of them because they treat people well. Look at what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now notice what he says next. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? And the tax collectors were despised. You see his point here, eating right and going to church and giving tithes and offerings is important, but that's the easy part. But this, now while I'm on the subject, I might as well just press a little further. This is Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Could seem like an awful lot for God to ask, except that where God has asked, listen, where God has asked, He has assumed the responsibility for getting it done. Let me show you. Jesus said this in John 14, starting in verse 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then he said, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Now, don't miss this. Jesus is saying that there will be a gift given that will do the work in our lives that we cannot do ourselves. He pledges here that the Holy Spirit would be sent into the world, into the hearts of all who would welcome Him, would bring into every life the presence and the power of heaven itself. Here's what 1 John 4 verse 13 says. By this, we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. Jesus tells us that He abides in us through the Holy Spirit. Back in John 14, Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then He said, I will give you the Holy Spirit. I will come into your life through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus enters your heart through the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit brings to you the personal presence of Jesus. And it's Jesus in you that makes the big difference. Jesus will live His life in you. Imagine that. Imagine the possibilities. Imagine the power. Imagine the victories when Jesus is living in your life. So now, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, here's my answer, and I don't want you to miss this. Very technical answer. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He's not someone else. He's not Jesus. He's not the Father. So, so why then, John, do you call the Holy Spirit He? Well, because Jesus did. He dwells with you and will be in you. 
Now, how do you know that the Holy Spirit is an actual person and not just some kind of presence? Because Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit as having personality, as being an individual being. Jesus said, I will send Him to you. He said, as we just saw, He dwells with you and will be in you. He, an individual, a person. Ah, but is the Holy Spirit God? Remember, God is a unity of three co-eternal persons, it is often said. Some refer to the Trinity. Some would call the same thing the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are different beings, but they comprise one God. Three people, one God. Really? Three different beings? Yes, for sure. Look at this, Matthew chapter 3. Notice this. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus in the water. That's one. The Holy Spirit resting on him in the form of a dove. That's two. The voice of God. That's three. Three beings, one God. Difficult to understand? Well, no, not really. A different concept to the way we usually think, sure, but not hard to understand if we just go by the Bible record. Now, I get asked, what's the Holy Spirit made of? What does He look like? I'd love to be able to tell you that, but I can't because the Bible doesn't answer that. And that's okay. You know, it says in the Bible that God's ways are as high above our ways as heaven is high above the earth. We shouldn't be surprised if there are some things about God that are a little harder to understand. Where did God come from? Well, He's always been. Go ahead, explain that to me. I'm okay with waiting until God explains it to me in heaven, if it even seems important when we get to heaven. I can't explain how a cell phone works. I can't explain how a satellite can send images from space down to the earth. There's a lot we don't understand, but we go ahead with our limited understanding and we are fine. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. The Bible is clear about that and I can accept that. It's a lot like trying to explain the wind. You can't see it, but you know what it does. The Holy Spirit is the same. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Jesus said in John 16, and when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus went on to say, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. This is a gift, a gift you can't live without. One reason the Holy Spirit is sent to the world is to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. That voice that says, no, that's not God's will, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice that says, This is the way I want you to go. That's the Holy Spirit. Although I want you to be careful about that. You can't live your life listening to inaudible voices. How can you know whether the impressions you're receiving are actually from God? Check with God. 
Check with the Bible. At times, check with people of experience. Pray. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction and will also speak in harmony with the Word of God, never contradicting the Bible. And the better you get to know God, the better you get to know the Bible, the better you'll be able to recognize His voice. So the Holy Spirit brings the presence of God into your life and leads you in the way of God. Oh, imagine that. The power of God coming into your life. What would that be like? Well, think about where we've seen the power of God. We've seen it at creation. God spoke. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke and the sun, the moon and the stars hung in space. What sort of power does it take to do that? The power of God. And that same power comes into your life when the Holy Spirit fills your heart. Look at this. Speaking of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 1, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. Do you see that? It says Jesus is upholding all things by the power in His word. You understand that. You look look outside, there's the sun. You know it's not going to fall out of the sky because Jesus is holding it up. You're not too worried Mount Everest is going to keel over. God is upholding that. It's part of the all things He upholds. If you walk among the redwoods or some other majestic trees, you don't worry they're all going to lay down flat all of a sudden because you know God is upholding all things by the word of His power. Now, let me ask you, are you part of the all things that God is upholding? Why, yes, you are. If God is holding you up, you don't have to believe that you're going to fall down flat. Where would you be without God upholding you? The difference between one person and another, between someone who is spiritually succeeding and someone who's spiritually failing, isn't willpower. It's not moral superiority. It is whether or not God is holding that person up and God will uphold anyone who lets him do so. You don't want to be without God holding you up. Jesus called to Peter to walk on the water. No human had ever done that. Peter did so, but then he began to sink. Seems he took his eyes off Jesus. You want God to be holding you up. This world is filled with temptation. No one is a match for the devil. But we read in 1 John 4 and verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That he that is in you is Jesus. And how is he in you? Through the Holy Spirit who brings Jesus' presence to your life. So the secret to living as a Christian isn't your ability, your intelligence, or your wisdom, as helpful as they are. The key is Jesus living his life in you through the gift of the Holy Spirit. As Paul wrote to the Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He wrote to the Galatians and said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So how does that actually happen? How does Jesus live in you? He is in heaven after all. How does it work? 1 John 3, 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So how do you receive this most incredible gift? It isn't something you can buy. Someone can't buy it for you. You can't earn it. How do you receive it? Luke eleven thirteen. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And anyone can have this gift because anyone can ask. Rich, poor, young, old, sinner, saint, God offers you this gift. 
the gift that makes the difference in a person's life and eternal life. Just ask. But what happens when God speaks to us and we plug our ears? You know, if you plug your ears when someone is trying to talk to you, that person before long is just going to walk away. Matthew chapter 12, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him or her, either in this age or in the age to come. The Spirit of God will call, will speak, will impress, will convict, but there are many people who won't listen or they'll listen for a while and turn away. This is where the unpardonable sin comes into being. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David wrote, or the psalmist wrote, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. The Bible says the Lord is merciful and gracious. You know that, right? God is so good, so gracious, so forgiving. The question becomes, are you ready to be forgiven? That's what it cooks down to. Are you ready for the forgiveness that God offers you? Do you want that? When Peter was preaching in Jerusalem at Pentecost, just a few weeks after Jesus had died, the Holy Spirit began speaking to hearts and they sensed that this was so. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? The answer came back. They were convicted. He was the answer to the question. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see that? But we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4 verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And James wrote, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. When sin approaches, the Holy Spirit is there calling you, telling you, warning you. The question is, are we listening? There's a fascinating question found in the second chapter of Hebrews. Here it is. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Notice it says neglect salvation. It doesn't say reject. Notice that? All of this, I'll come to God one day. That's neglecting. You didn't reject, you neglected. I'll come back to church one day. Really, I will. That's not a rejection. That's neglecting. I'll let God have my heart one day. Deadly and dangerous. You don't want to play Russian roulette with your salvation. Maybe later, maybe another day, there'll be a better time. No, that makes no sense at all. Romans 8, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. David, of all people, knew how dangerous this was. He was a very flawed man, a man who made some terrible mistakes. But one mistake he didn't make, he didn't ever choose not to repent. He turned back to God. He listened to the Holy Spirit and responded by 
surrendering again. He said, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He knew that if he didn't pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit would eventually be taken away. Now, I'm not saying you just make one error and God withdraws his presence from you. That's never going to happen. But when a person persists, goes on against God, waits and waits and waits and says no and no and no, you know what happens. Hearts grow cold. Interest fizzles out. It's how the mind works. God is always willing to take you back. But if you let faith in God grow cold, it can be difficult to get the flame burning again. In the time of Noah, God said, my spirit will not strive with man forever. And then there came a time when God shut the door of the ark. The unpardonable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not a type of sin. It's a condition in sin. When we choose not to repent, but we continue to shut God out, we're on the path to committing the unpardonable sin. It's the sin that's never confessed, the sin we refuse to let go of. It's the sin that you take over, over faith in God in your life. It's hard to imagine how many people the Holy Spirit has appealed to, but they have their fingers in their ears. They're just not listening. No, no, murder isn't the unpardonable sin. God has forgiven murderers. He'll do so again. God has forgiven adulterers and He will do it again. But when we let anything come between us and God and we choose that, whatever it is, and we say we're not going to surrender to Jesus. We're not going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That becomes the unpardonable sin. And no, it's not anything you won't know about or won't think about. Don't be thinking, maybe I've committed the unpardonable sin and God never said anything. God isn't petty like that. He'll speak, you will hear, and everybody will have the choice to honor the one who died so we can live. They may choose to go in the other direction. I want to show you the unpardonable sin actually taking place in a person's life. Paul was brought before a man named Felix. Felix was the governor of Judea, Acts 24. And after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Felix trembled, but he didn't repent. He was convicted, but he didn't turn to God. What was happening? The Holy Spirit was speaking to his heart. He had a golden opportunity to surrender his life to God. He never did. He came close. Maybe he thought about his wife, Herod's daughter. Maybe he thought about how he'd have to explain his conversion to his political colleagues. Whatever the reason, the Holy Spirit was speaking to his heart. And he said, don't bother me now. Something very similar happened just two chapters later in the book of Acts. Speaking to King Agrippa, Paul said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Can you imagine that? You almost persuade me. He was close, close to the kingdom of heaven, but he never, ever entered in. This invitation God gives, have you ever thought about how truly precious it is, the gift of everlasting life? God invites you to choose to be a follower of Jesus, to let him guide you in a life of blessing. 
the final invitation in the Bible is found five verses from the end of the Bible. It's Revelation 22, 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And you can do that. It only takes a decision. Somewhere along the line, a person has to say, I'll let God have my life. I choose to go his way. Jesus told this story in the gospel of Luke. He said, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many, sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Hard to imagine, isn't it? A man graciously invites people to a feast and they don't want to come. How do you think God feels when he looks at the earth, closing in on what, almost 8 billion people? God is calling every single one and the majority not responding. Has to break God's heart. He's calling to people to bless them. He's saying, I want, I want the best for you. We say, give me my possessions. Give me my life. Give me my wants. But don't bother me with that religion stuff. I certainly don't want to bother anyone with that religion stuff. And neither does God. But God does want to bless you and pour the presence of Jesus into your life. He wants to give you a new heart. He says in Isaiah 41, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God wants to give you the Holy Spirit to make the difference in your life, to bring into your life the peace of heaven. Some of us, we're not gonna have peace until we can honestly say, until we say, I'm following God. We won't have peace until we say, I'm embracing God's will for my life. He invites you right now. One day it will really be the final invitation. Tonight we have the opportunity to say yes to the God of heaven. Listen, friend, Jesus is coming back soon, sooner than we know. He's in heaven tonight preparing mansions for those who've let him take full control of their lives. Those who've said, yes, I want to follow the Bible. I want to invite you to be just that person, to say, Lord, I want to accept your great gift of salvation. I want to do your will. You've learned much during our time together at Hope Awakens. Now the time has come for you to say, Lord, you've got my heart. I'm accepting you. I want to be led by Jesus. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Tonight, I want to give you another opportunity as Jesus knocks at the door of your heart. Keep something in mind. He's not saying, are you good enough? The Holy Spirit alone is good enough. He's asking you to say, I'll let the Holy Spirit have me. So I want to give you the opportunity to make a decision for Jesus. Let me say that again. Get ready. Grab your phone. I want to give you the opportunity to make a decision for Jesus. Send me a text message. Here's the phone number I want you to, to text. Don't put it on Facebook and don't call. Text this number, 423-264-2575. And when you've got that number in, text me the word GIFTS. GIFTS, G-I-F-T-S, GIFTS. 
The number I want you to text me at is 423-264-2575. Text me the word gifts and I'll text you right back a link. You'll get it almost straight away. Click on that link and it'll take you to the opportunity to make a decision for Jesus. When you see that form in front of you, you'll notice the first line says, I surrender to the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. Of course you want to do that. Number two says, I desire to be part of the church that worships Jesus in spirit and in truth. The Spirit of God leads you. He's leading you right now into a, a faith community, a body of believers standing on the Word of God, yielding to Jesus, desiring to be guided by the Spirit into all truth. Point number three says, out of love for Jesus, I want to be baptized or rebaptized. If that's your will, even if you're just thinking about it, I'm weighing that up. I'm praying about that. Then you mark number three. If you have questions you'd like answers to, let us know at number four. And then fill out the rest of that form you see there so we can pray for you and get in touch with you if we need to. Point number one. Remember what you're doing. You're sending me a text message. Don't miss it. The number is 423-264-2575. The message you are texting me is the word gifts. I'll text you back a link. You click on that link and you'll see this. I surrender to the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. You know what to do. I desire to be part of the church that worships Jesus in spirit and truth. Out of love for Jesus, I want to be baptized or rebaptized. I have questions I'd like to discuss. I'm praying for you and I'll pray for you now. Father, guide us to make for you right now a decision for Jesus, a decision for eternity. Lead our hearts in Jesus' name. Come and say with me, amen, amen. That's the number, 423-264-2575. Text me the word gifts. I'll text you a link. Fill out that card. Make a decision for Jesus. See you Friday night. The ultimate destination. We are going to have a wonderful time two nights from now in the Word of God. I'm looking forward to seeing you again for more on Hope Awakens. See you then.